You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being back once again. We have a lot to get to in this version of the podcast. We're going to talk some Mariners-Astros as the M's take the three-game series from Houston, which is no small feat given what we've seen Mariners and Astros the last couple of years. So we're going to dive into that for a couple minutes. Uh, we'll play some Scott Service talking about the series and also a, a nice message to you, the fans, as well. We're going to chat with Kyle Glazer. This is a very fun conversation. Kyle Glazer, a writer at Baseball America, also hosts their podcast. Really great work. This is the first chance we've had to catch up with him. And it's, uh, we go in a lot of different directions. We start, though, with, I I think what is on everyone's mind, Kyle Lewis, is he going to win Rookie of the Year? What's Kyle's thoughts? He'll talk about that. We'll talk about yeah, the long-term ramifications of this season, maybe a little Mariners-Padres comparison. How did the deadline shake out for the Mariners? So we'll talk about a lot of different items with Kyle Glazer, a really great conversation that comes up in just a few minutes. First things first, though, let's dive into the series against the Houston Astros. Mariners hooking up with Houston in Game 1 of the series on Monday. Marco Gonzalez taking the mound, and again, he was absolutely outstanding. He has one more start to go, but he's putting the finishing touches on a very fine season. The stretch, and again, the 3-2 pitch, breaking ball, swing, and a miss for strike three. Gonzalez striking out Michael Brantley, his sixth strikeout of the ball game. Eight scoreless innings for the Bulldog, Marco Gonzalez. What a performance tonight. Yeah, scatters seven hits along the way, walks one Fans six and eight innings. His ERA just hovering a little above three. We'll talk more about Marco after his last start. Kind of uh, put a a wrap on Marco's season. Uh, When the season concludes, he'll make the last start of the season on Sunday against the A's. But he has had a fine year for the Mariners. His M's win game one of this series six to one against Houston. Mariners kind of broke it open late with four runs in the seventh, two more in the eighth to get the win. Uh, it looked like for a second, had they not broken it open, that Marco was going to come out and try and finish it off. He would have been the first pitcher this year with multiple nine inning complete games. He already has one in the books. He was poised for another, but I guess with that lead, no need to push it at that point. Offensively, it was Evan White who had a big smash. The 2-2 to Evan White. Swung on, drive deep to left. Down the left field line, and- it's gone! A three-run homer for Evan White, and the Mariners have a 4 nothing lead. Evan White on a 2-2 pitch. It's home run number seven of Texas RBI, total to 24. What a big moment for that young man. Yeah, so the Mariners take game one, 6-1. They fall in game two, 6-1. So the series even coming into the game yesterday. This was a fine ball game. Mariners facing Zach Granke. And the Mariners breaking it open in the fifth inning. First, it was Kyle Seeger. 
The 1-1 to Seager, swinging a well-hit ball deep into the gap in right center field. Going and going, and this one is off the base of the fence. Crawford to third, being waved in by Maniacta. The throw cut off, the relay to the plate, head first slide. Crawford is safe at home. Kyle Seager with an RBI double into the gap in right center field, scoring J.P. all the way from first base, and the Mariners have a 2-0 lead over the Astros. And then it was Ty France who added another run for the M's. The 2-1 pitch to Ty. Swing and a well-hit ball down the left field line. That's going to get down for a base hit. Seager's rounding third. He's going to score. France, the turn at first, will head on back as Brantley comes up with it by the warning track. Gets the throw into second. Ty France with an RBI single with two outs. And it's now the Mariners three. And the Astros nothing. Viva La France, his second run batted in this afternoon. They would hold on for the win, 3-2. to two. So the Mariners take the series from the Houston Astros. Keep in mind what the last couple of years have been like against the Astros. As the Mariners are just 1-6 against the Astros this season coming into this game. Remember last year, just no success at all against the Houston Astros. Uh, when it was all said and done, the Mariners ended the season just 1-18 against Houston. So I don't think it was a small thing. The Mariners able to take a series against Houston. It's unfortunate how it shook out that these teams played so often early this season because it feels like both these teams are in very different places right now. And you wondered, you wonder how things may have ended up if the schedule was more Houston heavy towards the end of this schedule and not the beginning. But uh, schedule is what it is, and the Mariners take the series from the Houston Astros. And Scott Service talked about that after the game. Great series to, to end up the, the home portion of our schedule this year. I, uh, uh, it's been a while since we beat the Astros uh, in a series. So uh, uh, really uh, happy with the way the guys play. They played super, super hard. Really, we have all year. Um, but, you know, coming down the stretch here and got a few guys banged up, but everybody uh, chipping in and, you know, really contributing. I think you know, home record, uh, we've got a winning record at home. I wish we would have had a few more games at home, really. Uh, I think we end up losing six games uh, that we had to play uh, away from here for different reasons. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, uh, today's game, obviously, I thought Marge uh, really uh, hung in there and executed well. And, you know, you look at his final line and the results were outstanding. And I think he'd be the first to tell you maybe it wasn't the best stuff he's had as far as crispness to it. But he's learning and he learned the, the value of that curveball. I thought his curveball was outstanding today. And even though the fastball velocity maybe wasn't as good as we've seen out of him in the past, uh, using the curveball like he did really helped play up uh, the fastball when he needed to go to it. So awesome job by him. I think the key was getting out of that bases loaded jam in the fifth. He got a couple strikeouts there and, and got out of it, which is you know huge for him. And our bullpen was solid today. Gravy did a nice job. Miz got us a couple big, big outs there in the eighth inning. And uh, uh, it's nice to have a veteran uh, at the end of the game. And I thought Harano threw the ball really well. You know, they got some hits, some soft hits uh, that fell in there, and that happens, but you keep your cool. You keep executing pitches, and he really did execute well uh, against El Tuve to, to lock down a save. So um, offensively, just enough uh, again today. But big hit for me in the game was Kyle Seeger's double uh, off Grinky. Uh, we're up one nothing in the game, but that was the big hit. And, you know, driving in the second run, we're able to pick up one more. So, uh, you know, Sieg's, uh really been swinging the bat well here in the last five or six days, and he's getting some results along with it. So um, Ty France, again, uh, he hadn't stopped hitting uh, since we got him. And that's like what I see there in the batter's box for sure. But 
with that, uh, we'll take some questions. Going back to the first inning, what was the value in making sure that Grinky had to work as hard and throw as many pitches as he did that inning? Well, I didn't know if we'd ever get the rest of the game going, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, was, you know, Grinky's been around a long time and, and um, you know, he knows how to slow the game down. And really, he slowed it down to a, a snail's pace there in the first inning. But uh, uh, we did get a lot of make him throw a lot of pitches. I thought our at bats were very, very good. Guys weren't chasing. Uh, you know, he's going to change speeds and gets the ball to, to move all over the place. And I thought our discipline was really good early in the ball game against Granke. March uh, doesn't use the, he doesn't lean on that off speed stuff too much. But he seems to really know when to use it. it just a good pitch to feel the pitch. Yeah, he's, he's learning how to trust it a little bit more. He's got all the faith in the world in his fastball. And I think today, uh, you know, he, when he saw he didn't maybe have the liveliest fastball, he was forced to go to it. And I thought Luis Torrens did a really nice job behind the plate today uh, with him, understanding that when to go to the breaking ball. It's good. It's got a lot of break to it. It's slow. It's, it comes out 70, 72 miles an hour. It's really tough to hit when you've got that variation between your fastball and the curveball. So, um, again, good lesson for him to learn today, and it's something he'll take forward. Scott, you mentioned take forward. He's a guy that you move forward with. Yeah, I mean, he kind of showed you something this year in your season of opportunity. This is a guy that a team gave up on at age 24, and it seems like he fits in well. Absolutely. Um, sometimes you need a little luck involved, and he, he landed in the right place. Uh, landed in a Mariner uniform, and, you know, it is the year of opportunity with young players, and uh, I think he's very grateful for that. We're super grateful. Uh, I love having him out there. I uh, love how he competes, and he's only going to – I really truly believe that um, and, and there's left-handed you throw strikes you're coming up with some other pitches and you really got some some guts and heart to you you're gonna win a lot of games in this league and I truly believe he is is it too early to guess where you would project him at next year whether it's bullpen or starting rotation oh I think he's he's shown us he's a starting pitcher um, you know and we'll just have to wait and see how things play out as we go through the offseason but I have no problem giving him the ball once every six days and feel really good about our chances. He's going to give you a chance to win every time out there, and um, that's what you're looking for out of starting pitching. Scott, you, you mentioned about how you guys are playing this last week, but it, it seems like the enthusiasm and kind of the, the emotion that they play with has been pretty consistent all year. Is it a factor of being young, or is this who these guys are? Because that would seem like that's something you can control every night uh, playing with that way. I think it's who these guys are, Ron. I think it's a really good question. Everybody thinks, ah, oh, they're young. You know, they got a lot to prove. They're trying to earn their spot on the club. But that's just who these players are. Um, and getting a chance to, to be around them and, and manage them um, and, and see it come together, it's, it's really fun. It's fun to be around. Um, they have a good time. They stay loose. But when the game starts, it's all business. And they're not getting the results they want every night. There's some struggles along the way. But they're there to pick each other up. They're learning from each other. Um, and they feed off of each other. You see, when we get a rally going, we get some things going, it's, uh, it's fun to watch and, and be a part of. So that's just who they are. I don't think it has a whole lot to do with how, how, how young they are, uh, but they come ready to play every day. It's certainly noticeable because we don't have the fans and all the noise. We can kind of hear them throughout the game and how vocal they are and how much energy they seem to yeah, it, it, uh, they really do. They, they, they pull for each other, and it's great to see. It's, it's not one guy just worried about his at-bats or is he getting his hits or another guy at the end of the dugout who maybe he's not getting his hits and he's sulking down there. You don't see that, not with this group. Uh, they're, they're really not wired that way, and 
Uh, it's, it's the way it needs to be. It's not always that way, but uh, you know, when you're trying to build something here that we can be proud of and, and, and you know, be a winner here for a long time, that's what it takes. It takes the character uh, of all of your guys like that. And like I said, uh, we've got a great group here. One other thing I'd like to add, um, you know, I said it, I, I jumped on the TV broadcast a little bit for there in the second inning, but uh, it has really been hard without our fans in the stands. And I can't give, uh, you know, our players enough credit, but I want the fans out there to understand how much they have missed them. It has been, it has been a challenge. Um, there's nights when you get in the ballpark and you're dragging a little bit, but as soon as you feel the energy of our fans, it picks you up. It gets the adrenaline going. So uh, let's all keep our fingers crossed that we can put the fans back in the stands uh, next year because we've really, really missed you. Feel your support at home, and I know you're following the club, but um, I can't wait to get everybody out at the ballpark again. You guys are going to love watching this, this club in person. So thank you to everybody out there. Okay, so here's what we have now. Off day today, tomorrow against the A's in Oakland at 640. And then uh, a doubleheader coming up on Saturday, which includes the Mariners being home team in one of those. Uh, game one will be at 110. And then the finale, everyone starts on Sunday at the same time. So 1210 first pitch on Sunday in Oakland. And that's it. The season is wrapped up. Mathematically, the Mariners still alive after fending off Houston. Uh, they would need uh, everything to fall their way, essentially, uh, essentially winning out. And then Toronto and Houston both falling flat or one of the two falling flat, I guess, the last few days. So math does not really work in their favor, but the math still keeps them alive at this point. All right. Now we're going to turn our attention to a very fun conversation with Kyle Glazer. And Kyle writes for Baseball America. He's a great follow on Twitter. At Kyle A. Glazer. You can find his work at baseballamerica.com and also host their podcast as well, which is excellent. So I recommend that. Here's our conversation. We have really enjoyed uh, Baseball America's uh, Rookie of the Year watch. We've been following along every week of this season so far. So, with uh, just a handful of days to go in the season, how do you break down the AL Rookie of the Year watch when you look at it? It really is Kyle Lewis's to lose. He's been really, really good this season. And uh, I noted yesterday in our BA prospect report, even though some of the hits have not been coming as frequently recently, he's still finding ways to get on base. He's drawing a lot of walks. And when you look at just what he's been doing compared to his main competition, Luis Robert, Robert's been slumping really, really badly for a couple weeks now. And again, Lewis is not as hot as he was to start the year, but he keeps finding ways to get on base. And you look at the overall season picture, he's beating Robert in all three slash line categories. He's now tied him for home runs. There's still a couple games left, obviously. And if, you know, Luis Robert gets crazy hot and Kyle really struggles here over these last couple games, you know, the, the calculation will change. But at this point right now, it does look like it's Kyle's to lose. I think it was widely expected that Robert would be in the mix for this award coming into the season. He's so well thought of, and he's had a wonderful season. How surprised are you that Kyle Lewis is in the mix? You know, I don't want to say it's a huge shock because we saw him come up at the end of last year and really get to his power in the major leagues. And you knew this kid was just so tremendously talented. You were just waiting for him to be completely healthy. He had that terrible knee injury after he was drafted, had a couple setbacks a few years in a row after that in relation to the knee. And then last year was really his first year kind of getting back into things. And you saw it at the end of last year. And uh, we talked about it on our BA preseason podcast that this was a sleeper 
to not ignore in the rookie of the year race. Um, but I think for him to come out as hot as he did and really sustain uh, a solid approach really over the course of even this abbreviated season, that's been the coolest thing to see. So I don't want to say it's a complete shock that he's in the mix, but just how much he was able to grow this year and become a complete hitter, I think has definitely been a, a pleasant surprise for a lot of people. When you look at the Mariners this season and take wins and losses out of it, look at it as kind of a developmental year, how successful has this year been for the Mariners? I think it's been very successful when you consider that they've hung around third place. They've, they've played some competitive baseball against some good teams in the division. You know, we talk about Kyle Lewis, and the steps he took forward. We've seen Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn, you know, do well for themselves here recently. They've kind of progressed as the season has gone on. You've seen that, you know, second year guys like Dylan Moore stepping up and showing that there's a little more in there with him. I think we've seen a lot of Mariners players take a step forward, particularly guys who had a taste of the big leagues last year. And when you're a rebuilding team, that's so, so key, seeing these guys not stall in that, you know, that first full year in the majors or that second taste of it. Seeing all these guys progress is definitely a win for the franchise long-term. What was your take on the deadline deal between the Mariners and Padres? Yeah, I, I thought the Mariners did well for themselves. Look, Austin Nola is a, a tremendously talented player. It's so rare to have a catcher who can actually hit in today's game. So I understand why the Padres paid the price they did. But if you're the Mariners and you see Taylor Trammell, a very talented young prospect who still has a lot of upside left, good athlete with a great makeup, you know, the thing with Taylor Trammell everyone talks about, and we've witnessed it personally, he can be the mayor of any city he wants to when his career is done. He's just got that effervescent personality that you that draws you to him. Uh, great kid, good athlete, and we saw some changes take hold. But even if something goes sideways there, you know, you guys are seeing it firsthand right now. Ty France can hit. He can absolutely hit. One of my, you know, proudest achievements at Baseball America, if you will, was I ranked him in the Padres' top 30 uh, entering 2019, we were the only outlet to do so just because the guy can hit. And he went out, had a great year at AAA, made his major league debut, and now you're seeing in Seattle. He could be an impact bat. And Luis Torrens is a good defensive catcher. We'll see how his offense progresses. And oh, by the way, Andres Munoz looked like a stud at age 20, uh, just has to stay healthy. So I think, you know, history tells us not all four of these guys are going to be impact players for the Mariners. But even if just two of them are, that's a pretty good, pretty good deal for them. And I think they did well for themselves, the collection of talent they got in that deal. So speaking of talent, we, we have a fun internal debate. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Kelnick or Julio? We've had that debate a lot at BA entering uh, this season as we rank the two of them for the prospect handbook. Ultimately, um, our conversations with scouting directors around the game, scouts around the game, led us to rank Julio over Kalanick simply because there's just, for lack of a better word, there's a freakish level of ability there that is, is pretty rare to see, although it feels like we're seeing it more and more with guys like Acuna and Tatis coming up in recent years. I, I'm not going to compare it to those guys. That's not fair to him, but um, just again, the, the power and the athleticism for his size. And he's a really bright kid. He's already uh, nearly bilingual. There's leadership traits there. There's just a sense that this is just such a, a rare bird that you want to rank him number one. And that's not a knock on Jared Kelenic. Kelenic is a really talented player that a lot of evaluators think can be an all-star center fielder. It's just 
Julio is one of those freaks of nature types that you don't see very often, potentially. You mentioned freaks of nature. And when you look around the game right now, I mean, what a time when you look around and you see Acuna, who you mentioned, and Tatis, and Soto. And, I mean, just go down the list. There are so many of 20, 21, 22-year-olds in this game right now that are so good and massively productive. It's amazing. It really is. And so many of them, as you mentioned, are coming over from Latin America, um, just, you know, development and scouting. It was always an important part of teams' long-term plans, but it's become even more so now. And you're right, this is a really special time for the game of baseball, just having this many talented players. You know, and oh, by the way, Mike Trout's still in his 20s, still produces <laughs> like an MVP. It's, you've got this new wave of guys, but even the, the quote-unquote old wave that came up at the start of this decade is also still in its prime and, and performing really, really at high levels. Um, th- there's so much talent in the game today, and it really does make it very fun to watch. You mentioned Mike Trout. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the AL West kind of big picture because we know what the Mariners are doing. Uh, they're trying to build forward. The A's are the A's, right? They seem to be there every single year. There's questions for me when you look at the Astros long-term, the Rangers, and then the Angels, what they're going to do as well. How do you look at the division maybe the next couple of years? I think it's going to be the A's division to lose. They have that nice mix of young major league talent, young prospect talent. um, And we've seen their front office just consistently reload. If they do go down, it doesn't last very long. It's two, three years. So they are the favorites to me kind of as we enter the 2020s. But you're right, the Astros are about to lose most of their core here in free agency over the next two years. The Rangers are are at the bottom of you know where they need to be in terms of they're not a very good major league team and they really don't have a lot in the farm system that can help them anytime soon. In theory, you know, the Mariners could be number two in that pecking order. The Angels are the big wild card here to me just because they're about to get Albert Pujols' contract off the books. They have Mike Trout. We've seen them bring up some productive young homegrown players recently, guys like David Fletcher and Jared Walsh, who don't get a lot of love but are performing very well. Uh, They have some more guys in the system, Brandon Marsh coming up. Um, They have some young pitching led by Griffin Canning. But at the same time, you know, Shohei Otani can't stay healthy. You know, that's going to be a blow if we have to see what they do. There's obviously rumors swirling about a change at the top potentially this year. Uh, We have to see how that plays out. I think if you're the Mariners, you definitely like where you are moving into the 2020s relative to the Astros and Rangers. The Angels, again, are just the big wild card here. And and the A's are the kings of the division as I see it right now. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about the ramifications of this year, not only at the minor league level for all the obvious reasons with a ton of guys not playing at all, but also the major league levels. You know, you look at the Mariners and you have – the rotation guys with 60 innings this year. How do you see the ramifications playing out in the next couple of years at the major league level and the minor league level? Yeah, that's certainly the question a lot of front offices are asking themselves right now. Um, You know, I think at the major league level, you can make the argument that for some of the young pitchers, you know, being able to get them to go six, seven innings into their starts, not having to worry about their workloads creeping up into 150, 160, 170 and shutting them down or risking them getting hurt is a good thing. But um, I personally am a big believer in, you know, you have to learn how to pitch over the course of a long season and deal with the dog days of summer and the fatigue that comes with it. So 
I think young pitcher development is, is really the biggest wild card here in terms of long-term ramifications at the major league level, because I can see it going both ways. You know, hitters, I think that, you know, you'll get enough reps over time. I, I think that this shouldn't interrupt too many of their careers. Um, and then really at the minor league level, that's where we're going to see the biggest kind of adjustment here for a lot of the players who are at the lower levels where development was even more critical, where this was going to be their first year of full season ball or their first year in the United States. Um, you know, and if they weren't invited to the alternate site camp, that means they were mostly stuck at home working out with their buddies. And while a lot of players can do a lot of things to stay in baseball shape, you can't replicate game reps. You can't replicate a long season. You can't replicate the travel. So that's where we're going to see the biggest long-term ramifications. And I think a lot of young players have had their timelines of their debuts pushed back a year, if not more. Finally, I'm not sure what to expect with the postseason this year. When you look at it and just the matchups and best of threes to start things, do you have a feel going into this thing, what it's going to look like, how it's going to play out? Starting pitching depth is going to be more critical than ever. We've seen in the past that having a good number four start in the postseason is really beneficial come to LCS in the World Series. Now it's mandatory. If you don't have that fourth starter, you're not making it through the slate because you have no off days. And a lot of times, frankly, need a fifth starter too because otherwise your number one is going on three days rest in game five potentially. So that's going to be the biggest key here. And when I look at how things shake out, for me, the Dodgers were the team I thought was going to win the World Series back in February, March. I felt that way when the season really got started in July. And I still feel that way now because I still see – five legitimate starting pitchers for them. But as we've all talked about, anyone can lose to anyone in the three-game series this year. So any and all predictions, I don't think you can make them with a, with a huge level of confidence. Well, Kyle, we love your writing. We love the podcast. Uh, we love following you. Thanks for the time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.